Welcome to the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast, your guide to help you manage life, money, and multiples. Each episode, host Paul Fenner, Tama Capital's president and founder, and the proud parent of four amazing children, including one set of triplets, will provide insights on successfully sustaining an active lifestyle, career, and family through comprehensive wealth management strategies, financial education, and lifestyle planning specific to parents raising twins, triplets, and more. Learn more, subscribe to the show, or connect with Paul at TamaCapital.com. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Tama may retain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Going through a job transition can be an emotional situation for most people in corporate America. But what about transitioning from military life to civilian life? Today, I speak with Bill Kiefer, a corporate executive, coach, speaker, and former officer in the U.S. Army who's experienced career and life transitions from virtually all angles. Bill discusses in-depth the personal challenges that he faced when making the difficult decision to leave his career in the Army for the betterment of his three children, a decision that many military personnel face today when deciding what to do with their life after the service. In working with veterans through their transitions to civilian life, Bill talks about his approach to helping people determine what good looks like and how to define success for themselves. Bill details how veterans and non-veterans should look at the current transition environment and realize how it can impact their path in the future, which may require a person to pivot multiple times. Bill emphasizes that transitions are more challenging when you don't have a clear direction on where you want to go both professionally and more importantly, personally, a message that led him to put together a TEDx talk on investing in the middle. Finally, Bill describes his six keys to success when it comes to managing transitions, or military terms, his philosophy of command. Bill explains how these core sets of values helped him make sound financial decisions early in his career, allowing him to launch his own business today. Please enjoy my conversation with Bill Kiefer. Today, I want to welcome Bill Kiefer to the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. I've known Bill for many, many years. Our paths have crossed actually several, I guess, unique times, if you will. Bill is a specialist in the field of career transition, especially working with our military veterans. Bill, welcome to the show. Hey, good morning, Paul. It's great to be here. If you could just give us a little background about your career, both on the military side and on the corporate side, and then kind of talk to us about what you're doing uh, today, um, I think that would be a good good uh, lead-in for our, our audience. I'm glad to do so. I'm uh, currently sole proprietor, consultant, advisor, and coach. Primarily work with military veterans, as you talked about. I work with employers also on military veteran employment and hiring. I do some work on strategic talent management, leadership coaching, and that kind of stuff, a public speaker here and there. And I come to that after 22 years in corporate America as a senior leader in human resources and talent management in large, complex, global organizations. Prior to that, I spent 12 years as a U.S. Army officer. That has given me kind of a unique path to where I am today. Talk about how you transitioned from the military into your corporate HR roles? I would not suggest the way I did it. Anybody else should do it. Um, I had a great career going on. I was in just under 12 years. 
I was selected for promotion to major and then went through a family situation change that caused me to make a really tough decision whether or not I should continue to pursue a career that I absolutely loved and was quite frankly doing pretty good at or whether I needed to be there for my three kids who were then quite young. That's a no-brainer decision for me. I walked away from my career while I was on a promotion list. So I entered that transition with little knowledge of what the new world looked like, with very little financial security, and very little understanding of what I needed to do next. My transition was tough. I not only went through a family circumstance change, I went through an entire career change. It included a couple of moves, but what I found was the true meaning of grit and resilience and persistence and how to stay positive in a really, really challenging time. When you're going through that transition, what led you into the HR side of corporate work, if you will? It was an interesting path. I got out. Remember, this was all before LinkedIn. This was before Indeed. This was a long time ago. So I was doing things like literally checking the newspapers and out shaking hands and meeting people and cold calling just to connect with people who might know something that knew something. So my first opportunity came through a friend of the family, connected me with a local pseudo-governmental agency that did economic development. And I was selected to be the deputy director of economic development for the county I lived in. Great job, but I continued to network, and I eventually landed a job with a supply chain transportation company managing the training function for their roughly 1,100-person facility in Toledo, Ohio. From there, the career just grew fast and large. It was a bit of serendipity, but my military background included training and development and organizational development, organizational design, a tremendous amount of leadership. I ran operations. So I had a whole consistent set of experiences that would cause me to be a great fit in a learning, development, talent management, HR kind of role. The fact that I had a bachelor's degree in HR didn't hurt either. And that's one thing I often hear when we're talking about transition from military to civilian life, if you will. How transferable are those skills that you learn and pick up in the military versus how they're applied in civilian life or a corporate career? Because I've heard that veterans, that's maybe where they struggle because maybe they know how to do the job, but from a communication standpoint, they can't say, well, I did this in the military and it equals doing this in civilian or, or the corporate life. Yeah, that's a huge centerpiece of the work that I do. Everything I do centers around closing the culture gap that exists between military veterans and civilian employers. And if you think about it, the fact that the gap exists is not surprising. Over 93% of our population never served in uniform. And our military veterans come out to the civilian world, having spent several years at least, or maybe several decades, in a very particular culture in the military. So you learn how to behave, you learn how to speak as a function of your environment. Many times our military veterans come out and they've got fantastic experience but they don't know how to tell their story in a way that lands well on employers' ears. Conversely, employers, having never spent any time in the military, don't know what to listen for. My work focuses on closing that gap and causing a bridge to happen between those two populations. I could sit here and tell you that while I was in the military, I was a 90 Alpha 5 Papa 3 Romeo. I know exactly what that means. I have no idea. (laughs) 
Welcome to the conundrum. See, <laughs> and that's part of the challenge. What that means is, let me clarify it. I was a tactical multifunctional logistics officer who was airborne qualified, nuclear, biological, and chemical qualified. That helps, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's still not helping me. <laughs> My mind's still blown. Yeah, see, that still doesn't help. The question here is, how do we get our military veterans to understand the language they need to speak in the employment world? And how do we get employers to understand the language that's so familiar to our military veterans? That's the work I do. So from a transition standpoint, I think this will lead to one more question ahead. But to talk about transitions, I think the one really unique thing about your background is that you've seen transitions both from an employer standpoint and an employee standpoint. Actually, the very first episode that I had with Scott Capeller, episode one, that whole conversation was focused on Scott's transition when he lost his role in a pharmaceutical sales position and how he got through it. Talk to us about the transitions that you've seen from being on the employer side where you have to sever a relationship with somebody versus you're on the opposite end where your relationship is being severed from a company? Even though it's a very similar event, it has a different impact depending on what seat you're sitting in. I get it. Organizations sometimes have to make tough decisions to let people go. Sometimes it's because of the employee's performance. Sometimes it's just business circumstance. And Paul, I know you and I have spent some time together in organizations that had to make those tough decisions. I'll be honest, the organizations I've been in that have had to do that did it very thoughtfully. They did it very purposefully. They did it very carefully. And they did it very respectfully, not just of the organization, the operation, legal compliance issues, but of the people that were going to be impacted both on the departure side and those that stayed. So never an easy time, but sometimes it's something that has to happen. One of the things that I tell folks in the civilian world that are maybe affected by a downsizing or an unexpected career transition is that while you have to deal with the grief of the loss, you also have to look forward and see the possibility for positive landing for a better future. A friend of mine lost his job a few years ago from a pretty well-known firm, a place he'd been for his whole career, and he was devastated. We'll call him Fred. I said, Fred? You need to look at the possibility this could be the best thing that ever happened to you. Now, this is, let's say, seven or eight years ago. He now has landed in a company, in a role that's so much better in all aspects than what he left, that he truly does see that today is far better because of having lost that job than it would have been if he'd have stayed in that job. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more because we had this conversation many times when we were going through our transition. So full disclosure, and I've talked about this publicly before, like I'm almost to my five-year anniversary of going through my own job transition with a company. That's one of the ways that we ended up reconnecting is that we were both going through a transition at the same time. And the group that we were in, led by Rich Spriegel, who I hope to have on the show here soon, one of the things that always resonated with me was what Rich told me. is like, you can only run from your destiny for so long. And when I first met Rich and I was telling him about who I am and what I do, and I told him about Tama, and most people know this about me, is I kept my full-time career going while I started building Tama 10 years ago this December when my triplets were born. 
he could tell how passionate I was about it. And he's like, well, why don't you do that? And I'm like, well, right now, financially, it's just not in the cards. I struggle with that for a long time. And I think a lot of people that we know that have gone through this transition and Scott Capella would probably say the same thing is that you're just ready to get on the next horse, if you will, and not take that time to, for lack of a better term, to some degree, grieve, to get your emotions together and figure out, okay, what do I really want to do next? And taking a pause because it's such a rush of emotions that it's really hard to deal with. But to your point, at the time when you're going through such a crappy situation, you never hardly once give a credence of thought to, this could be the best thing that ever happened to me. And when I look back five years ago, I say the same thing. And for most of the people that we've worked with that have gone through transitions, I want to say 9.8 times out of 10, those people end up in much better situations than they were before. Success is what you decide it is. We each define success differently, and we each define success differently at different periods of time. Sometimes we get to redefine success based on our choices. Sometimes we have to redefine success based on events that happen around us. If we get to make our own choices and define success our own ways, that's great. We feel good about that. But the fact of the matter is success and happiness, full rewarding life, professional success and all can happen. And like you said, 9.8 times out of 10, oftentimes does happen, even if the change, the transition happened to you and not by your choice. So oftentimes say, you know, you got to look in the windshield instead of the rearview mirror. There's a reason the rearview mirror is so small. Got to be mindful of what happened behind you. It's the launch pad for where you're going. It caused you to be who you are. It gave you great experiences, negative experiences, good perspective, bad perspective, and it can set you on a path forward. How you decide to run that path depends on two things. What's in the windshield in front of you and what's in the mirror when you look at it. So I'll suggest it's not just about looking in the windshield versus the rearview mirror. It's about looking in the mirror. In fact, when I coach individuals through career transition, especially military veterans, my very first step of a six-step process I built and been using for years is who are you and what do you bring into the party? Really, no kidding. Who are you? What do you want? What do you need? What's your life circumstance? What's your family circumstance? Where's your financials? Do you need a job because you've got stuff you've got to pay for right now? You need cash flow? Or do you have some room to go get a career? Do you even want a career? What are your personal preferences? How do you like to work? What kind of company do you think you want to work in? Do you even know? the differences in the kind of companies? you want to stay in a career similar to what you've been doing or do you want to do something different? I always use the phrase, you want to be a king or a king maker? You need to be that person who's the lead guitarist in a great band or can you be a backup singer? They're both honorable. They're both great. But what do you want to do? And oftentimes what I find is, especially for military veterans, for the first time in their lives, they're afforded and confronted by the opportunity to kind of do whatever they want. When our young folks join the military, there's choices, but they're not unlimited. I sign up with a particular branch and I say, I wanna go do this. And they say, well, you're qualified or not qualified. And based on your level of qualification, your choices start to narrow. You then go through a very rigorously defined process of a session and training and assignment and development and all that. And you may stay for one enlistment or you may stay for a whole career. There is a structure and a momentum 
a tempo, a clear set of expectations, and a huge amount of support all around you to help you succeed, to help you achieve the potential, to help you get to whatever level you aspire to and you're able to achieve. Now you end that career and you come out to the civilian world. It's all gone. You and I have both heard the phrase, nobody cares more about your career than you. Well, yeah, that's a little different oftentimes for our military veterans who have that circumstance I just described. They're surrounded by structure and momentum that can help them be successful to the extent that they're willing to put forth the effort. Now you come to the civilian world and you find that if you don't do it, it don't happen. And you're confronted by so many choices. I like to call it the cereal aisle conundrum. Let me ask you how things go at the grocery store when you're in this breakfast cereal aisle. I try not to take them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I learned that lesson early on. Yeah, go I ahead. mean, <laughs> man, you can have whatever the name brands are, but almost limitless choices for breakfast cereal. Now apply that set of almost unlimited choices of all really attractive things, maybe some more so than others, not too many kids like, what is it, the Raisin brand? <laughs> but you take that circumstance now and apply it to the career field. And now Johnny or Sally goes, I don't know what I want to do. It's a little scary. Things aren't like what they used to be. And I'm inundated with possibilities. And further, I don't even know how to evaluate the possibilities. I don't know how to make the decisions. So I try to help people clarify a whole bunch of things early. That's where my focus start with you. Who are you and what do you bring into the party? I then look at how you define success professionally and personally. Given who you are and your capabilities, the good, the bad, and the ugly, what's good look like? Are we playing football or are we playing soccer? Or are we playing golf? Does a higher score mean a win or does a lower score mean a win? Is it money? Is it location? Is it time with the family? Is it career progression? Is it the availability of a career management system similar to the military? How do you define success? And then we work through that. We marry up the person's capabilities, what they bring to the party versus their definition of success to decide whether or not it all kind of makes sense or is even realistic. I then ask them to take a look at the transition environment that they're existing in because the transition world has a whole set of new people, a whole set of new players, a whole set of new processes, a whole set of new expectations that are just truly unfamiliar to most people that are entering the career transition time of their life. I'll give you an example. Years ago, I was uh, working with a young army veteran. He had been a helicopter repairman. He'd done his time in the military and he was a little non-typical. I tend to work with more senior folks, but he's a junior guy and great guy. He wanted to come and do some work, do similar work rather. He wanted to be a helicopter repair guy in the Toledo, Ohio area. Great. We know what you want. We know what you're good at. Here's what I want you to do. Let's look at your transition environment. Go out and see how many jobs you can find that are open for that kind of work in Toledo, Ohio. He came back several days later and he goes, um, didn't find any. Pretty limited. Now, I don't know that there aren't any, but the rotary wing equipment population here in the Northwest Ohio area isn't huge. I don't know that the repair work actually happens here in the area. So I said, what's going to give? You now have to make a decision because what you want is kind of that unicorn. You want to fix helicopters in Toledo. Don't see a lot of opportunity for that. So are we going to shift on the job target or are we going to shift on the geography? 
you have to make decisions and you have to make choices. And if you don't know what the transition environment looks like, it's hard to make those choices. And it's even harder if you don't know what you're looking for and what you're bringing to the party. In his case, he chose geography, went after a different kind of job, and last I heard, wound up being quite successful. That's interesting that you brought up the analogy of the windshield versus the rearview mirror. My good friend, Colin Cowherd, who's a radio personality on Fox, I've been listening to Colin for like 10 years. And that's one uh, analogy that always stuck with me. He always like, (laughs) you wouldn't think about that from a sports guy, but he really hits that one really, really hard. That's really interesting. To transition this into what we've kind of talked about thus far, you put together a, or were a part of a TED talk that went somewhat viral called Investing in the Middle. Talk about that. Walk us through, one, how did you end up getting connected as a TED speaker? And then talk to us about investing in the middle. Sometimes things just happen in life. And sometimes those things that happen aren't good. And other times those things that happen really are good. I had been talking about a concept. I call it messages from the middle for years. I've been writing this book in my head for years. And I was talking to a gentleman about it. And the whole gist of it is life leadership and success in the middle of organizations. When you're not the brand new frontline person and you're not the CEO, you're kind of everybody else. So I had this conversation with this gentleman. He said, that is really a cool idea, something we really need to talk about. So thanks. Good luck with your book, right? I didn't think anything about it. A while later, I got a phone call from from a gentleman I had never met before. And he said, hey, I'd like to talk to you about maybe doing TEDx Toledo. I, I happen to be in Toledo, so it made sense. And I said, wow, I'm honored. Why me? Because I heard about this messages from the middle thing. And I thought it was intriguing. And we don't do a lot of business topics in our TEDx series. Thought it might be a good fit. Would you like to do that? I said, absolutely not. I'm busy. I don't want to do that. And while I'm not terribly averse to public speaking, that's a big scary thing because you don't get to use notes. You don't get to stand behind a podium and have that big shield between you and fear. So anyway, we traded some conversations and uh, eventually he convinced me that I probably ought to give it a shot. It was a great experience. And what a powerful platform to get your message out. The preparation work was something I wasn't really ready for. Anybody that thinks they want to do a TEDx talk or even a TED talk, which takes more work to get ready for, get ready to do your work. No way do you want to be, you know, in this case, there was probably 150 to 200 people in a room and I streamed out to the world. You don't want to be a flop. (laughs) It was a great experience. It was a great experience. So what was the prep like? Because to your point, it's not like you can take notes. Your PowerPoint, if you will, if you want to call it that, is I think fairly limited, right? They put some constraints around that. Yeah. I mean, the idea is to, in my words, not the TED people's work, but the idea is to come up and tell a story. It's not to prove how skilled you are with PowerPoint. The idea is to be able to tell the story and have PowerPoint as, or whatever your graphic images are, as a supplement to the story. For my prep, everybody preps differently. I kind of prep in a, throw a lot of content together, I think in post-it notes. It's not quite like a beautiful mind, but almost. But I think in post-it notes, and I start putting them together, and then from that emerges some kind of framework 
And then I work through it to go, okay, does this make sense? Does this fit? How does it flow from a logic standpoint? How does it flow from a presentation standpoint? And then I start practicing it. And I go, okay, this doesn't fit here. That fits there. This stream of thought really is landing nowhere. But if I change this point here, it can add there. I start with kibbles and bits. I build an outline framework. I do it iteratively. And once I get that fit and I'm comfortable with it, I then start rehearsing how is this really going to get presented. And quite frankly, a lot of times I build the deck afterwards. Okay. Let's pivot back to transitions for a minute. And you personally, that I think could resonate with a lot of our listeners as well, is when you went through your last, we'll call it corporate career transition, you ended up starting your own coaching consulting firm, which you have today. Talk to us about what that transition was like, how you got started, because I think there's a lot of people out there that may not be in love with their job and may think, well, maybe it's better for me to venture in and start my own gig, if you will. Talk to us about what that transition was like for you, what it was like getting your business up and running. Like several of us, I've gone through a couple different corporations in my life and I was blessed. I had great jobs with great companies. I also made some decisions along the way that caused me to be fairly fiscally responsible. I'm not a big spender. I put myself in a position where I could be a little bit flexible in how I approach my work piece of life. When time came to finally go, you know what? I don't want to do the corporate thing anymore. I just don't. Life evolves. Things change. And while I was making really good money, the total balance of health versus wealth really wasn't necessarily where I wanted it to be. So I made a decision to strike out on my own. Now, I didn't leave going, I'm going to leave and figure out where I'm going to land later. I knew this is what I wanted to do. The work I'm doing now, I've been doing informally, pro bono, as volunteer work for the last 25 years. But I know that there had been enough of a growing interest in the work I do, the type of work I do. And I knew, quite frankly, that my experience had the potential to add value to people that needed some help. There might be a market here. So I ventured out on my own. I did some basic business planning. Everybody's got to do this their own way. I did some basic business planning. I understood what my products and services, at least initially, going to be. I understood what my markets were going to be. In all fairness, I didn't properly anticipate my competition. Can you elaborate on that a little bit more? In the military veteran career transition space, there are over 40,000 nonprofits that allege to do the work I do. I'm a for-profit. I like running water and electricity. Let me give you a scenario. My target audience is individual transitioning veterans, right? People. If I'm that person and I'm faced with, I'm leaving a career, I'm leaving a revenue stream, and I have options on how I might get help to do something I'm not aware about or not experienced with at all, my first look is going to be the free ones. That's my first look. I don't want to be disparaging. There are many very good nonprofit, no-cost providers of career transition services for veterans. There really are. They don't offer what I offer in most cases. So I had to figure out really, truly, no kidding, what is my value proposition? What is my differentiator that causes people to get past the, I'm going for the free, as opposed to, I'm going to pay you a little bit of money when I don't know what my money stream is going to look like in the future. That was a swing and a miss initially for me. Now, I'm working through all that. 
I'm pleased to have some very satisfied clients and I'm growing the business word of mouth and record of success and that kind of thing, growing it a bit organically. I think that when you first start explaining how you were able to do this, I want to come back and hit that because I often tell people or explain to people money, financial success gives you options. And that's to me, you're like the epitome of making good, sound financial decisions throughout you know, your entire career and having the ability that when the opportunity finally opened for you to do something different, you were able to take it. Not many people are in a position to be able to do that. And I just think that's worth noting again that making those hard decisions during your career and making sure that you were saving and putting money away and investing and doing all the right things that I talked to a lot of my family office clients about at Tama is what you need to do because it sets you up for success down the road, even though you may not necessarily know what that success looks like. We draw it out, like how you work with your clients and like, what does success mean to you? What does it look like? It's really no different than when I'm working with the family and putting together a wealth management plan. What that plan looks like today could look very different in four or five years. And especially when a life transition is thrust upon you. In a life transition, today we're talking about career primarily, but it's your career, death of a loved one, industry change. Divorce, health issues. Divorce. Life transitions happen way more often than people think. And that's one of the things that when I talk to people about what I do, there's a stereotype, well, you just handle my finances. You just manage my money, right? I'm like, no, that's actually some of the least important things I do for you. It's really helping you manage your life transitions and how those impact you both financially and from a lifestyle standpoint. Just like the business that you're in and helping people transition as a coach, we're somewhat cut from the same cloth there. No, exactly. You know, I'm kind of mindful of the Simon Sinek work about why. Mm -hmm. Very much so. Yeah. Whether it's career transition coaching, financial planning and advising work, key bit for me is why. What's your why? My why, ever since I was young, was financial security for my family. I'll never retire at Ocean Reef. I won't. I'm not there. I never aspired to go there either. I did, however, want reasonable financial security, and I made decisions along the way that by and large were consistent with that. I had setbacks. I've had a number of life events that impacted my financial status, but I've always stayed true to that. Regardless of the circumstance, I'm here because I want to make sure I have financial security for my family. That doesn't mean financial security in the moment. I mean, there's days when we ate some pretty low-cost stuff. Ramen uh, was pretty regular there for a while, but we also ate steaks on other days. It's about financial security for the long run. The other bit about the why is you got to understand what's important to you. What are your values? I was very fortunate when I was young to, to have that opportunity to sit down and define what my values are. I want to be sensitive to time here, but if you give me a moment, I'll tell you the story. As a young army captain, looking at my first opportunity for company command, which is roughly responsibility for about 120 people or so, Part of that session process is to document and speak to your philosophy of command. Young Army captain, got to go get approved by a brigade commander at the time, a full colonel, to say, yes, you are the right person for this command opportunity. Most of the time, my counterparts, now bear in mind, this is years ago, 
they would uh, look at the leadership books and put together stuff in a three ring binder and take that three ring binder up to the colonel at the set time and say, here's my philosophy of command. And I thought that was a crock of crap because I knew I wouldn't have a three ring binder when I really needed to understand my command philosophy. So I took a three by five card and I wrote six words on it. Now, I didn't just magically come up with it. I did a lot of work to boil it down to those six. And I took it up. The colonel was a little surprised, thought maybe I wasn't taking this seriously. I explained my perspective and said, you know, when I really need to lean on these, I'm not going to have that three-ring binder, but I can carry this card with me. It's like, okay, talk to me about them. My why in the grander scope is financial security for my family. My core values, the key bits, are the following six. First, got to have initiative. you got to get up off the couch and do something. Next is integrity. Once you get up off the couch and do something, you have to do it with complete integrity. Because in the end analysis, all we really have is our honor. Next is focused. When you're up and doing something, be focused on it. Be present for the circumstance and be present for the people around you. Next is foresight. Understand that what you do today has a downline impact on tomorrow and the future beyond that. The fifth one is commitment. Whatever you do, give it 150% because it seems to me that I've never really seen anybody be truly successful or achieve their potential by giving half. And the final one was simply common sense. If you're wandering through a circumstance, living your life, facing unexpected challenges, if it doesn't make sense, there's a fair chance it probably doesn't really make sense. Acknowledge it for what it is and move forward trying to make some sense out of a complex world. I've tried to live all those. That was 1991 when I came up with those, and they haven't changed for me. So I've tied all that together as kind of how I live my life through transition and otherwise. That's outstanding. That is really, really great work. I want to circle back to the why, because I'm a big fan of Simon Sinek's book, Why, as well, and I'll link that in the show notes. But how do you, because this is something I work with my families on, especially the very beginning is trying to figure out their why. When you're working with individuals, coaching, how do you coach their why? Like, how do you get their why out of them? It depends. I always start with the who are you and what do you bring to the party? And that's kind of the what's. Sometimes it gets into the house, but I always ask, I try to ask the five whys, that continuous improvement thing. Why is that important? Why do you do that? Why, why? And eventually it starts to lead to the why. If we get to a kind of a stumbling bit, I kind of take a different tact. I look at the what and the so what. I'll do this when I'm coaching folks on resumes, for example. And it's not exactly where you're going, but it's a similar thing. You know, everybody knows that on a resume, you want to put results, not responsibility. This kind of a job with this kind of a scope, and then they leave it there. Well, that's the what. The question is that interviewers want to see employers is the so what. Well, so what? What was the result of all that? That same logic applies when I'm trying to dig at the why. So what's important to you? What are your priorities? What's your why? Being successful at work is really important to me. Why? Well, because I need to be achieving things. I need to be moving along in my career. Okay, why? Well, because I really want to make sure that someday I can retire well. Okay, why? Well, because I want to be able to spend time with my family. Oh, okay. So if we could restate what's your why, how would you say that? And, you know, there's obviously a gazillion possibilities. It comes back to oftentimes my why is my family in this example. They having a great career. They're planning for retirement. They're all the what's in the house. 
But the why is I want to have a great family life or a great relationship with my family or provide for my family by this example. That eventually gets to the why. I think that's actually a great segue into my closing question that I ask everyone. Given you have three kids. Five. Five. That's right. Four grandkids. You just keep adding those. I didn't know you were up to four grandkids. I'm not adding them. (laughs) (laughs) You alluded to this earlier in our conversation about having your, your three kids were one of the deciding factors of why you left your military career. My closing question is, what is the best thing that you like about being a parent? When I raised all my kids, I always told them, I said, my job is to help you make the best decisions you can possibly make. It's not about making the decision for you. It's about causing you to understand how to make a good decision. The great joy for me is, and as you understand, having kids, that can be a little delayed gratification. It is. It is. The great joy for me in raising the kids is seeing them able to make good decisions. Now, what's a good decision? That doesn't mean I agree with it. It means it was a decision that wasn't made haphazardly. It wasn't a decision that they made randomly. It wasn't a decision that they did spur of the moment and flippantly. It's something that they actually looked at, they considered, they understood the ups, the downs, the good, the bads, and they made a conscious decision to move forward and do whatever they're going to do to make the decision they make. That for me is a great joy. I can't be successful for them because they have to define success. But the great joy for me is being able to give them the tools by which they can define success and make the best decisions possible for them. Well, I think that's a really great way to wrap up our conversation, Bill. I can't thank you enough for being on the Emotional Balance Sheet podcast. We will definitely link to your Investing in the Middle TED Talk and a few other links that you would mention throughout our conversation. But always great to talk to you. Always great to see you. Look forward to to having many more conversations to come. Uh, Paul, I appreciate the opportunity. It's been a pleasure. I know you're doing great work with the podcast and for your clients. So I wish you all the best and I look forward to doing some cool things with you in the future. Sounds great. Thanks, Bill. All righty. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Please visit TamaCapital.com to subscribe to this podcast or to connect with certified financial planner and registered investment advisor, Paul Fenner of Tama Capital. And please join us again next time on the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Mm-hmm.